Hi friends, uh, welcome to our continuing study of the book of Ephesians. This week we want to begin with the question, uh, what is the church? What does it mean to be the church? Uh, COVID has certainly increased the number of people who are asking that question. And the good news for us is that Ephesians 4 actually has a lot to say about what the church is supposed to be. And so uh, I just invite you to, to close your eyes, in, unless you're listening to the podcast and you are driving home from work, uh, but close your eyes and just picture uh, what comes to mind when I say the word church. When, when I was a kid, uh, we used to, as we were sitting in worship services, we used to, you know, be fidgeting on the hard pews and we'd play the little game with our hands. We would go, uh, here's the church, oh, here's the church, here's the steeple, you open the doors and, oh, there's the pastor sleeping, or, uh, you know, here's all the people or something like that. And uh, I, I have now banned this game from uh, my in-laws and my parents from teaching this game to my kids. Uh, it's deeply problematic in, in our view of church. When I say church, what came to mind? Was it a building? Uh, an event? Maybe an organization? Um, and then we have to ask, well, if that's what comes to mind, like, is that helpful? Is that faithful to what the scripture calls us to be as we think of church? Uh, let me suggest to you that it isn't. The, the church is not an institution, a building, or an organization. The, the church is a movement. It is a group of people living centered around Jesus, who Ephesians calls our head or our cornerstone, uh, caring for one another and for the world and letting the words of Jesus form us and shape us to be more like him. Now, anytime a group of people begin to gather, very quickly, they structure themselves, right? And, and that is helpful, and that is good. It's interesting, in Acts 2, in the NLT, uh, they've created a little subheading, and it says, the believers form a community. And then we read in Acts 2, that all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, and to the sharing of meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. And so here's the start of the church, the believers living in community, sharing with one another, experiencing teaching, meals, and prayer. It's great. They're also meeting all together. Um, just before that, we heard there's 3,000 people baptized, and so they're meeting all together somewhere for, for this teaching, and, and, and they're the church is growing and people are excited and coming to know Jesus. It's interesting though, notice four chapters later in Acts 6, we read this. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. And so the solution is to take seven people and get them to run the first organized program, uh, a food program for those in need around them. Now, I want you to notice two things in this story in Acts. The first is that the racial tension between Hebrew and Gentile is still being felt. Uh, becoming a Christian doesn't immediately undo a lifetime of prejudices and hate. There is always work to be done in our life and in the communities that we are a part of. 
unjust systems pop up their heads very quickly in the church. Uh, systemic racism is present. People are being overlooked and disadvantaged because of their ethnicity. And the early church is not a perfect model for us to copy. It is the story of how God moves and, and what we can learn from that. And, and so we need to just be aware that today, unexamined programs and structures are likely working to marginalize some people. We have to stay humble open to listen to the voices of whoever those Greek-speaking people are in our day. We need open channels of communication and a great deal of humility as we listen to women and people of color. We cannot assume that we are a church, as, that we cannot assume that as a church we are not subject to institutional biases that privilege some voices over others. Now the other thing to notice in this is that this program was set up and leaders were given the ministry of handing out food and caring for people. Programs and organizations and some forms of hierarchy are not the problem. They just aren't the church. Whenever we gather, we need some form of organization. We need some programs or structure. The, the problem for us is when we turn the structure and the organization from being something that supports the people to the other way around where the people support the organization. In Ephesians 4, 11 to 12, in the King James, uh, yeah, Ephesians 4, 11 to 12, in the King James Version, is going to be one of my top contenders for translations of the Bible that create really, really bad understanding of the church. So in the King James Version, it said, And he, God, gave some apostles and some prophets, some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So in this passage, who does the ministry? Well, the apostles and the prophets and the pastors and teachers. Their work in this passage is to perfect everyone else. They are the ones who are called for the work of ministry, for the work of edifying the body. This translation of Ephesians created a whole class of people who were called for the work of ministry. It created a class of people who were supposed to do ministry and a class of people who were supposed to receive the work of the ministers. Now, listen instead to the New International Reader's Version. It's a kid's Bible translation. It says, of this passage, it says, that they might prepare God's people to serve. I love that translation. Uh, God gives apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers to help the body get ready to serve, to equip his people for works of service, is the NIV. The NLT says the responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church. And so then listen to this end of the section of Ephesians 4, verse 16. It says, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the others, other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Can I suggest to you that Ephesians 4 verse 16 is one of the most important verses in the Bible for how we understand church. The body, the church, only grows as each part does its own special work. So you have a special work of building up the body of Christ, the church. And the church can only, will only grow if you do the work that God has created for you. So now this takes us back to Ephesians for the beginning. 
So remember that you are being talked about here. Uh, you have a task, a work, an ability that has been given to you so that the church, the movement of Jesus-centered people, can grow and flourish and be healthy. Paul writes, Ephesians 4.1, Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. This is the first of Paul's ethical exhortations to us. And he begins by asking us to clothe ourselves in the fruit of the Spirit, to walk in the way of Jesus, who is humble and gentle, peaceful, kind, full of faithful love. He also emphasizes the importance of patience, of enduring with other people, of putting up with other people. And, and this should alert us to the reality that, that Paul is talking about real life with other Christians. Like Paul doesn't live in a utopian dream of Christian relationship. <coughs> Excuse me. Paul, Paul knows that for Christian community to thrive, it's going to take hard work. The, the life with other Christians is not a picnic. Now, the Hebrew-speaking and Greek-speaking Christians still have a lot of growing to do. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said that uh, the surest way to kill a community is to love the idea of it more than the actual community. Uh, one commentator says on this passage that unity is not something to be taken for granted, but rather something to be sought eagerly. We are asked to control what we can control. The, the primary uh, and primarily in the, these opening verses is that is our own attitude. Will you allow the spirit to work in your life? Will you choose to walk in the way of Jesus, to be humble and gentle and patient, looking over others' faults and working for unity and working for peace? Now, there's a theological reason behind Paul's exhortation. He's writes of the seven ones here next. Uh, they form the basis of our unity. Seven represents this number of perfection. And so Paul writes, for there is one body, one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. So I remember once uh, at the end of this heated, passionate theological debate with my friend Darren, he looked at me and more or less said something like this. This was a really good exercise. It's important to discuss and, and to argue about. But we need to remember that when we walk out of this office or when we walk out of our church, the community around us does not distinguish between Reformed and Arminian, Catholic or Mennonite, Baptist or United. They just see Christians. To the watching world around us, they don't know all the differences between our churches on every corner of our street. To them, we aren't separate houses in a religious world. We are one house with different rooms. There is one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God. These are the core of our faith, our theological foundation. And yes, we debate and we argue and we push for greater faithfulness what, for what these mean. We have different theological positions around these, but we must do, as Paul says, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit. Why? Because the unity of the church is part of God's plan for the cosmos, to unite all things under Christ. And, and because unity reflects the core of our faith, the oneness of God. 
Ephesians 4 verse 7 continues, however, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. Out of the great seven ones, Paul now draws you and me into that story. We learn that this is happening to each one of us. Uh, All of God's people, not just the apostles and the prophets, have a special gift or grace given by Jesus. God is giving you a special gift for the work of building up the church. While the NLT says each of us has a special gift, it footnotes and says grace. And and what's important here is that Paul is actually inviting you and me into the same call of ministry that he himself has. Ephesians 3, 7, Paul said, By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. Here in 4, verse 7, Paul uses the same Greek words to speak of the gift given to each of us for our own ministry. You and I have been given the same grace for ministry as the great apostle Paul. That's why in verse 8, it says, or next then in verse 8, it says, That is why the scriptures say when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Notice that it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ, Christ also descended to our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who himself ascended into all the heavens so that we might fill the entire, so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. This last line reminds us, of, reminds us of God's mysterious plan to unite all things in the cosmos in Christ. It reminds us of how Christ is the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And so Christ is giving gifts to you and me so that we can contribute to his work of unifying and filling all things. Ephesians 4.11 Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up full and complete, up to the full and complete standard of Christ. So notice that the gifts the gifts given by God here are not abilities or powers, but they are people serving in certain roles. God gives people to the church to build it up, to make it healthy, to help all of us do the work of ministry. We're going to talk more about this next week and the roles that we find ourselves in, but let's wrap up with this. The church is a movement of people. The organization, the buildings, the programs, the ways in which we do things are not in themselves sacred. They merely exist to help the movement of people do the work of ministry that God has called them to do. If the organization doesn't help, if the people no longer feel called to a program or the need no longer exists for that program that it was originally created for, we can leave those things behind rejoicing and take on the new work that God is leading the people to. In the first two years uh, at Northside here, we spent a lot of time asking, like, what is the church? And, and we struggled over the question, how is Northside going to be different from other churches? And I read I read lots of books. I wrestled with things. I have all these color-coded cards where I wrote down lots of ideas. And what's the big answer? Uh, the, the church is you. Uh, the call of Jesus is for each of you to use your gifts in the way that you feel called for the building up and the health of our body. If there are organizational things that we can do uh, 
that, that can help you do the ministry you are called to do, then, then we are here to help you do that. And at the same time, you can't let the organization and the structure stop you from doing what you feel called to do. You are the church. You are the movement. If, if you want to do a small group, don't wait around for some organization to do it, make it happen. Just start a small group. If you feel called to work with at-risk youth downtown, don't wait for us to create a subcommittee and set up times to do it. Just go. There is already lots of work happening there and you can join in it. Are you an evangelist? Please do not wait for the church to create an evangelism program. Do what you believe will work best with the people that you know. I think Alpha is a really great example here. So we as an organization could run Alpha as, as a program of our organization. And, and I can call you all and get everything set up and I can plan it and I can spend thousands of dollars on advertising and it can be a total flop. No one comes, volunteers are all feeling pressured and overworked and we, we just put alpha on this list of programs of things that we do every fall. And, and we could do the same with small groups or youth ministry or, or any other number of things out there. The organization can create a program and then we can look for people to serve. But what about the flip side? What if, what if you are an evangelist given gifts by God to tell others of the good news of King Jesus? And as one who has been gifted by God for the building up and health of the church, you know a bunch of people who are interested in exploring their faith. And you think, hey, Alpha would be a really good tool to use to help this. Well, then you, the gifted and passionate person, can turn to the organization and say, I have these people, and I think that what I need to do my work effectively is to use the building and some people who are gifted in service and cooking, and maybe some other people who are gifted pastors and shepherds who can come alongside these people and listen to them and respond to their questions and carry their burdens and help guide them into their next steps. Can we do that together? Well, then Alpha becomes the tool it was designed to be. It involves the body of Christ, people working their different gifts for the building up of the body. Each person doing their own special work to build up the whole body in a way that is full of love. One of them, one of these ways of looking at Alpha is the people service the organization, which is unhealthy. The other is the organization serving the people, doing the work of ministry that God has called them to. And that's my dream for the body of Christ. That's my dream for Northsight. That each one of you would know your own special gifting, your own work of ministry, in a, and then you would, per, you would move into that in a way that builds up the body in a way that is full of love, grace, and peace.